Open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 18. 2 Chronicles 18. This study in the history of the kings, this study this morning may be the most practical in our entire series to this point, and we have had 40 sermons. Today is the 40th sermon from the book of the kings. There are 12 more planned, and we'll see if I go through with the plan, but the plan right now is to have 12 more in this series. But this morning should be unusually practical because we have come to examine the end of the life of a good king. His name is Jehoshaphat. His story is recorded at length in the book of 2 Chronicles. And we will see this morning his story from three different books, five different chapters, as we read in our Bible reading today. He reigned for 25 years from the time that he was 35 until the time that he was 60. And his reign overlaps with three kings of Israel. You'll recall that there is one country of the Jews under the reign of Saul, David, and Solomon. But then that country is divided in Solomon's son. So that there is a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. 19 kings in the north, 20 kings in the south. The kings in the north are entirely wicked. But a few of the kings in the south are godly. Jehoshaphat is one of those godly kings, and he serves during the time of three wicked kings in the north. So he's king while there are three men, and here are their names. Ahab, his son Ahaziah, and Ahab's younger son Joram or Jehoram. This is complicated by the fact that Jehoshaphat's son's name is Joram or Jehoram. So that for a few years, two kings with the same name are both ruling in opposite kingdoms. And this morning's story (coughs) covers a repetition of In Jehoshaphat's life, even though he was a godly man, even though he was a true believer, we see a repetitive action, a pattern, or a habit, an impulse that he returned to repeatedly. He has this weakness that keeps pulling him away from the straight path. And so we're going to compare these five chapters of the Bible. We are not going to study the specific sin itself. We'll just make a few brief comments on it. Rather, we're going to focus on this pattern idea, this repetition. 
We're going to notice the fact that it happens again and again, even after Jehoshaphat is corrected. In fact, in the course of the, of the sermon, we will see that God corrected Jehoshaphat repeatedly and in numerous ways. So how does the story begin? Well, let me tell you the story. Jehoshaphat is around 50 years old. When he meets with Ahab for the first meeting that's recorded in the Bible. Now we know he had already met with Ahab because he marries into Ahab's family. 2 Chronicles 18 verse 1. He marries into Ahab's family. And because of that marriage, he feels as if he has to go to Samaria to meet with this wicked king. While he's there, Ahab says, won't you help me fight in a battle? Jehoshaphat should not join with Ahab, but he does. Ahab dies in that battle And Jehoshaphat nearly dies. He prays and calls out, oh God, save me, as the soldiers are chasing him. And God does intervene and saves Jehoshaphat. But when Jehoshaphat returns from the battle where Ahab died, a prophet comes to speak to Jehoshaphat and rebukes him. The next king, Ahaziah, is only a king for less than two years. And while Ahaziah is a king, Ahaziah says, Jehoshaphat, uncle, come, can't, can't we work together? We've got this idea to have a gold trading route. We're going to go down to Ophir, possibly someplace in Africa. We'd like to open up a mining business, and we've got some boats. We're going to go down there. We're going to get the gold. Uncle, can't we work together? And Jehoshaphat a second time says, okay, let's work together. And he takes his money and works together with Ahaziah, who's recorded as a very wicked man. Well, Ahaziah falls, as we studied last week. He has a terrible fall, he gets sick, and he dies. And his son, Joram, or Jehoram, comes to take over. And again, Joram comes up to Jehoshaphat and says, Jehoshaphat, uncle, can't we work together? I need your help to fight against Moab. This is a sin that happens over and over He was an honorable man, a true Christian, and yet he consistently falls to the same sin. So this morning, I want to preach to you on the topic of habitual sin. I want to give you 11, 10, 11, maybe even 12 if I have the time, descriptions of habitual sins with just a hint at the cure. The cure became too long, so I made it its own sermon. Maybe someday I'll deliver that. But today I'll just give some hints. But I'd like to uncover at least 11 descriptions, hopefully pricking your heart to see in what ways you have been like Jehoshaphat. 
And the message is very simple in this one sentence. The terror and the danger and the horror of sin is multiplied when the soul forms a habit. The great danger, the wickedness, the fear of sin is multiplied. It grows exponentially when it becomes a habit in your life. What are these marks of habitual sin that we can look at? Number one, habitual sin returns again and again in our lives. Habitual sin is that sin which is practiced. It's the kind of thing that you confess each day or each week or each month. It's the sin that you struggled with last year or the year before. Jehoshaphat should never have united himself with Ahab. It was a sin to support that man. Because Ahab was known as an idolater. When Jehoshaphat joined with Ahab, what he was saying was, your sin and your lifestyle is not that bad. I can make a common cause with you. And in each one of the three kings during which Jehoshaphat lived, he joined with them in a sinful union. Guilt by association. Jesus said in John chapter 5, You will die in your sins because you do not know me. There's guilt by lack of association. And it is possible to be guilty simply by being associated with sin and sinners. As we studied in the book of Haggai, sin spreads very quickly. Righteousness does not spread the same way. Which is why the book of Proverbs says, we must choose our friends wisely and stay away from ungodly friends because sin is transmitted very easily. Habitual sins are those sins that return again and again. What sins would be common to us? Perhaps Jehoshaphat's sin of identifying too closely with sinners in their lifestyle. Now, of course, our Lord Jesus was the friend of sinners. We must love sinners. We must eat with them and pray with them and evangelize them. But there is a different kind of association that Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat gathered in a way that said, I support your sin. I do not oppose your sin. Our Lord Jesus met with sinners and there was never a doubt that he opposed the sin of those sinners. The Apostle Paul met with sinners, but there was never a doubt that he was completely opposed to their sin. What sins commonly form habits in our lives? I began in my own prayer and meditation this week to make a list. And a great number of these come from my own struggle. Are they your struggles too? 
Habitual sins of prayerlessness. Is there a greater sin in our lives today than prayerlessness? A more common sin when we have been commanded to pray without ceasing? When Jesus Christ said, knock and it will be opened? The sin of speaking more than we should. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. If your mind goes blank, don't forget to turn off the sound. Are there a great number of people? Are there not a great number of people who commonly speak ten words more than they should on a given topic? What about the sin of ingratitude? Ingratitude shows itself with a discontented heart when we have been given so much. What about the sin of critical spirit, of a critical spirit or criticizing? Commonly finding the negative to speak to people about. What about the sin of self-pity? I found that even in myself on Friday. And I wondered, I told my son about it, and he laughed, not even realizing that his father could be so petty. But aren't you like that too? You tend to have, out of ten thoughts, nine of them are about how hard your life is. Isn't that true? Responding in passion. Doesn't every parent know what that's like? You respond in passion, not with the fruit of the Spirit. Justifying yourself. Luke 12, 15. You are the ones who justify yourselves, but God knows your hearts. What a habitual sin it is to constantly justify yourself and make excuses for why you've got to do it this way. Well, this is why I'm not doing this more. This is why I'm not more involved. What about this? A low or a mild love for God. You only love God as much as is respectable. You're not really going to pay the price of stirring up things at work, causing a stir at home. You love God as long as it's comfortable. But to meet more often with the Christians, to go on evangelism consistently, to give more money... To to let my son or my daughter be involved in the Christian ministry? I love God, but come now, that's extreme. The word extreme rolls off your tongue whenever you see a Christian who's better than you. What about the sin of neglecting to warn people about judgment, death, and hell? Have you ever pondered how you will feel After death, seeing people that you know judged by God and you say, I never warned them. It is a sin not to do that for we are commanded to snatch them out of the fire. Jude 22. What about the sin of procrastination? There's some good thing that you should do, but you're going to wait. What about the sin of discontent? What about the sin of worry that comes back over and over? What about the sin, men, of not loving your wives? How many of us have a habitual sin of not loving our wives? 
We commonly think of ourselves, not them. Wives, how many of you have a habitual sin of being disrespectful and dishonoring to your, your uh, father, your husbands, when the Bible is clear that wives must fear their husbands? This is just a list of 12 or 15 sins that commonly come back to us. The second description, habitual sins may look like no sin at all. If it was murder, we would admit, yes, I'm a sinner. If it was fornication or adultery, we would admit that I'm a sinner. One of the reasons this sin is habitual in Jehoshaphat's life is because of the kind of sin that it is. And great men fall by having habitual sins that are the kind of thing that they would not notice, the kind of thing they can easily justify. What was Jehoshaphat's sin? He united with godless people. And I can just imagine what he said. Well, I have to do this for politics. I'm not an average man. I'm not, I'm not just a normal man who has a job. I'm, I'm a king and I've got, to, I've got to make these alliances. It wouldn't be prudent to overlook this alliance. Some people would say, well, he wasn't worshiping idols himself. He was just defending his borders. Some people would say, well, Jehoshaphat, he's not extreme. Jehoshaphat is balanced. It's not the way the Bible looks at it. We go on in habitual sins because there is something inside that sin that allows us to justify or rationalize or overlook it. They don't stand out without introspection. This is why the practice of confession is so important. Confessing your sin is the practice of looking into your heart and counting up the, the sins and the guilt of your soul. Robert Murray McChain had a system of confession. Here's some of the sins he would confess. Sins before conversion, after conversion, sins against light, sins of breaking God's law, sins of ignoring God's commands, sins of thought, sins of action, sins of my dreams, sins of my speech, sins of my jokes, Sins when I'm working, sins that I overlook when I'm troubled or tired or hurt or sick, and finally, sins of my own confessions. Confessing sin in a dishonorable or a proud or a hasty way. Now, admit it, when I read that, that list of whatever it is, 13 or 14 things, how many of those you think, wow, I hadn't thought of that? I'll tell you what's happened. Since I read that list in his biography, I've begun to try to practice that. Previously, when I would confess sin, it might be two minutes. When I tried to go through those 13 categories, I realized I'm taking my whole time in my prayer each morning just confessing my own wickedness. We go on in habitual sins because we don't have the discipline of confession. Ice cannot last long in the summer sun. And sin cannot last long under the rays of introspection. 
Carnal men are not bothered by small things. But godly men are. The smallest of sin is to them like a thorn in the shoe. How long can you walk? You stop immediately when you feel that prick. And notice what the prophet tells Jehoshaphat after the first compromise. This is in chapter 19, verse 2. 2 Chronicles 19, verse 2. Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Look in chapter 19, verse 2. 2 Chronicles 19, verse 2. What does he say Jehoshaphat brings on himself? 2 Chronicles 19, verse 2. What does, what does Jehu say that Jehoshaphat brought on himself because of this habitual sin? Wrath. Brothers and sisters, don't pass over that. Jehoshaphat is a true believer and a good man, but he had brought down God's wrath on him by his habitual sin. That's terrifying. Habitual sin makes all our senses, a confession makes all our senses sharper and keener in spiritual matters. Go to chapter 20, verse 35. What does God call his habitual sin here? What's the word? 2 Chronicles 20, verse 35. Wicked. Jehoshaphat joined in Ahaziah's wickedness because of his sin. In fact, this habitual sin would force God to ruin Jehoshaphat financially. Look in verse 37. Chapter 20, verse 37. Eliezer, the son of Dodeva of Merashah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying... Because you have joined yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has broke your works. And the ships were broken that they could not go to Tarshish. Who destroyed Jehoshaphat's business? God destroyed it. That right there could be and should be a whole sermon. God can destroy your business if you go on in your sin. Number three, habitual sins are fed by godless family members. Chapter 18, verse 1, Jehoshaphat had married into Ahab's home. Ahab had married a pagan woman, Jezebel. And Jehoshaphat saw it. He should have run away from it. The law of Moses forbids interfaith marriages. Not interracial marriages, interfaith marriages. We covered that last week and we'll cover it even again tonight. The sermon tonight is the book of Nehemiah. I encourage you to come back as we study the entire book in one evening. We did Ezra last week. But now Jehoshaphat has to meet with Ahab's family because he married into Ahab's family. We are commanded to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather rebuke them. Ephesians 5, verses 11 and 12. But Jehoshaphat cannot separate from the unfruitful works of darkness because he chose to put it in his own bed. He said, I'm going to, 
I'm going to go to bed every night with this woman who hates my God. And I'm going to join our families together. How can he separate from them now? How can he rebuke that woman when the woman says, you chose me. You paid for me. If you don't like it, why'd you do it? Godless family members have taken many awakened people to hell. Jezebel made Ahab worse. Lot took husbands for his daughters. Lot was a believer and he took husbands for his daughters from Sodom. And what happened? His daughters grew up to be vile and sinful. So that some of his daughters didn't want to leave. Some of them did leave. And what kind of home did they grow up in? They committed incest. And their children troubled Israel for the entire history of the Jewish nation. Jesus knew that there would be those people who would love father or mother more than me, or son or daughter more than me, Matthew 10, 37. So he said, whoever loves father or mother more than me, or son or daughter more than me, is not worthy of me. And the verse just before it says, a man's enemies will be the people in his own house. And that's a quote from the book of Micah. Micah 7, verse 6. Micah was alive just about this time. Why didn't Jehoshaphat listen? Your enemies are going to be in your own house. What does that mean? It means watch out because sometimes the people close to you will trap you and tempt you. One of the reformers, I think it was Bilney, when he was tortured, he recanted and said, okay, I'm not a Christian. And then after time, he thought, no, what have I done? I've denied my Lord. So he went back and said, I'm going back. I'm going back to my faith. And he said it publicly in church. They grabbed him and put him in prison. And I'm pretty sure it was Bilney. Bilney wrote, whenever you are tortured for your faith, you must Separate yourself from all your friends. He used the word abjure. Abjure all your friends. Leave not one of them near to you because it is your friends who will try to justify because they love you so much they'll try to give you a way out so that you won't go to the stake. He said, make sure you cut ties with all your friends who might save your life but open a door for sin. Number four, habitual sins flourish among those with weak character. Jehoshaphat did not have the character to reject political benefit for spiritual safety. He chose political benefit rather than godliness. Once he was married, he did not have the character to lead his wife toward holiness. Just like the Pilgrim's Progress. We're reading that book in our book group now. And that amazing story on page two begins with the man Christian wanting to get in at the narrow gate, but his wife says, oh, what are you doing? Oh, stop reading that book. And so he runs from her and puts his fingers in his ears and says, life, life, eternal life. What's wonderful is that in the second part of that book, his wife does become a believer because he paid the price. Because he loved Christ more than his wife, God gave him his wife. Jehoshaphat did not have that character.
Once he was with Ahab, he did not have the character to stand up for Micaiah. In 1 Kings chapter 22, he goes with Ahab to fight. <clears throat> and Ahab calls for the prophet Micaiah. And Micaiah tells him the truth. And Ahab, in front of Jehoshaphat, Ahab says, throw him in prison and punish him. Why didn't Jehoshaphat say, no, 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 you can't punish him. He's a godly prophet. Well, well, hey, shh. you know what? People will do what people will do. Where's the character, Jehoshaphat? Where's the courage and the manly boldness? Once Ahab died, Jehoshaphat did not have the character to listen to the prophet and reject Ahab's son. Jehoshaphat simply, here's what it comes down to. Jehoshaphat simply cannot bring himself to disappoint anyone. And that is a great habitual sin today. How much evil is done in our nation because men do not have the courage to disappoint other people? To look them straight in the face and say, I understand, but that's wrong, and I will have nothing to do with it. You don't have to shout, but you do have to do it. You have to take your stand. Habitual sins flourish in weak character, which is why Charlotte Mason, the great educator, said, we've got to teach our children character. What's far more important of whether they, they understand STEM, science, technology, what is it, economics and math or something. What's far more important than that is that they understand character. They know how to be honest. One more illustration. In the book, The Chronicles of Narnia, in the first of those books, the magician's nephew, when Narnia is created and Aslan creates this world, he chooses a king. Do you remember who he chose? Frank, a taxi driver who barely had an education. And Aslan, the great lion, asks Frank, can you be the king? And he says, I can't do it. I can't do it. And Aslan says, can you treat every one of your subjects with justice? And Frank says, well, I think I can do that. And Aslan says, can you be the first one to go out attacking the enemies and the last one to come home from attacking the enemies? And Frank says, I can try. And Aslan says, then you will be the best king. I sometimes wonder what people talk about when they, they come to electing politicians. A godly Christian who only has a matric certificate would be a better president of the country than a man with 17 degrees and 30 years of experience who's a corrupt liar. Character counts. If you don't have character, nothing else matters. And if you have character, nothing else matters. Number five. Habitual sins trouble the godly as well as the ungodly. Habitual sins trouble the godly. Here's Jehoshaphat, a good man, and yet he fell repeatedly. Is this not your story? Do you not fall repeatedly to sins? Just think of the times that you've spoken too much. Just think of the times that you have confessed the same sin over and over and wondered if you will ever get over it. Think of Peter. Four times 
His speech went out of control and he rebuked even the Lord Jesus more than once. I'm sure later on he looked back and wept bitterly. Have you ever done that? Habitual sins can trouble the godly. They troubled Paul in Romans 7 verse 15. They troubled the author of Hebrews who wrote in chapter 12 verse 1. That there can be sins that will entangle us. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Number six. Habitual sins often resist the warning of godly men. Habitual sins are like the crust of hard water that forms on all your taps. Do you have hard water at home? How many of you have ever seen that the tap is just covering up with that crust? Have you seen that? And you have to knock it and scrape it and chip it, get some chemical to clean it. Or worse, you have to just buy a whole new tap or a, a faucet or a handle. That's what habitual sins are. They grow slowly like barnacles on a whale. They grow slowly like moss, like mold, like corruption, like cracks in a foundation. After the first sin with Ahab, a prophet comes to Jehoshaphat and tells him the truth. After the second sin with Ahaziah, another unknown prophet named Eliezer rebukes Jehoshaphat. This king had at least two bold men speak to him. But he still went on. Whom do you have in your life? Do you have a godly wife who speaks to you and loves you? Do you have a godly child? Do you have a godly husband? Do you have a godly pastor? Do you have a godly book? Do you have some kind of of person pulling you back? And yet you are bothered and go on in habitual sin because they spoke to you, but it was mixed they didn't quite speak to you the way they should have is that is that the way you are that's the way I am if someone doesn't come with honey and sugar to rebuke me I find myself putting up my fists I don't know how these men, Hanani and Jehu, how they spoke to Jehoshaphat maybe they were just rough men who came up and said what are you doing In the words of presidential candidate Joe Biden, come on, man. Maybe they just were bold and blunt. Maybe they were offensive. I don't know, but it was Jehoshaphat's fault in history for not listening. I bless God that many years ago, a man rebuked me when I was 24 years old. He rebuked me for my preaching. Dave Wetterland. I didn't like the way he did it. I thought, well, I was, he didn't do that kindly. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. I thank God that a few days later, he had that rebuke sit in my mind over and over until I realized, what am I doing? I'm not even preaching biblically. This king had a man rebuke him over and over. He had the law of Moses to warn him. Number 1626 warns you about being with ungodly men. Deuteronomy 22 verse 10 says, Do not let an ox and a donkey plow together. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, That refers to unbelievers and believers working together. Joshua had the Psalms of David. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of the scornful. He had that psalm. He had Psalm 139. Are you ready to be shocked 
If you're not consistently reading your Bible, Psalm 139, verses 21 and 22. Did you even know these verses are in the Bible? Psalm 139, 21 and 22. I hate those who hate the Lord. Do not I hate them with a perfect hatred? That's David. Joshua had those Psalms. Wives, do you realize that your husband is your spiritual head to guide you in religion? 1 Corinthians 14.35 says, If a woman would learn anything, let her ask her husband at home. Then if God has given you a godly husband, why would you rebuke that or push against that? Has God given you a godly wife and yet you think of her, oh, she's just nagging me all the time. Is she nagging you or is she a help to you to get you out of that habitual sin? Godly parents, godly books. Number seven, habitual sins resist repentance. Habitual sins resist repentance. This is one of the most remarkable things. In 1 Kings 22.49, we read it today. 1 Kings 22.49, Ahaziah joins, Jehoshaphat joins with Ahaziah in a business venture to get gold. God breaks the ships. Ahaziah comes back a second time to Jehoshaphat. And the second time, the Bible says Jehoshaphat is not willing to go with him. So you see, Jehoshaphat did what? He learned his lesson. Does that make sense? The second time Jehoshaphat falls to sin, God destroys his ships and God sends him a prophet. So Jehoshaphat says, oh, what am I doing? And he wakes up and he will not do it again for two years. And after two years in 2 Kings chapter 3, Ahaziah's brother comes to him and says, hey, help me out. And what does Jehoshaphat do but fall right back into his pattern of sin. Did he repent? Yeah, for a few days. Did he cut the root of the sin and replace it? No, he did not. He said, I'll, really, I'll leave the sin, but in a few years later, he goes back to the same thing. He didn't set himself against it. He did not say, with all the help of God, I'm going to pray and fast and turn from this sin. He did not say, I'm going to dig deep until I've got all the roots out. By restraining us from true repentance, habitual sin restrains us from every grace. You are in desperate need of grace. You need it to lead your family. You need it to lead your children. You need it so that your prayers will be answered. Habitual sin keeps back answered prayer. Psalm 66 verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Habitual sin, listen to this. Habitual sin casts doubt in our own minds and in the minds of others as to our calling and election. 2 Peter 1 verse 8 says, If you do these things, that is if you do these godly disciplines, you will never fall into sin. But if you do not, if you lack these things, you are blind. You cannot see afar off. You have forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins. Therefore, brothers, 
Give diligence, every effort to make your calling and election sure. Because if you truly follow Christ, you will never fall away. 2 Peter 1, 8 to 10. So I ask you, do you desire revival? Would you long to see our churches full? Habitual sin quenches the spirit because it stops true repentance. Do you wonder sometimes at how small a godly church is? Do you wonder sometimes, why don't more people come to listen to a godly preacher? Why don't people listen when I evangelize? Is it possible that our lack of repentance is due to our habitual sin? And because of that, the Lord has closed his ear. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2. Your sins have separated you from your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. God will not answer the prayers of those who go on in their sins. Imagine what would happen to our town. Imagine how the bottle stores would close down. Imagine how busy the roads would be on a Sunday morning as people are rushing to get to church. There would be traffic on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Because everyone's trying to get to church. If revival came, and is it that our habitual sins hold us back from this? Quenching the Spirit of God? When we pray, they block our prayers. Would we even notice if God's power were absent? Or have we reached a level of contentment? As long as I can just make it through life, people respect me, I go to church, I'm, I'm in this, I'm kind of a Christian, and shoot, I hope I can just get into heaven, as the book of Job says, by the skin of my teeth. Number eight, habitual sins touch our children and our children's children. Jehoshaphat's son married a daughter of Ahab. 2 Chronicles 21, verse 6. Jehoshaphat's son, he's a good king. His son marries a daughter of Ahab. This woman was so wicked that she actually schemed to murder her grandson, all of her grandchildren. And Jehoshaphat's grandson does the exact same thing that Jehoshaphat does. Jehoshaphat's grandson actually meets together with with the wicked king of Israel. He does the same thing that his grandfather did. That's the meaning of that line that the sins of the fathers will be passed down to the children to the third and fourth generation. It means the actions that I do form an example and a pattern and a habit and a culture. Those verses, when people talk about generational curses, it's not a generational curse as if there's some demonic power who's cursing you and forcing you to do this foolish thing. It is the power of wicked culture. If you grow up as a godless man, if you grow up as a man in habitual sin, you are creating a culture in your home and you will pass on that culture. And culture is amazingly powerful because culture is the collected habits of a people group. 
And if part of those habits are habitual sins, then you are passing on that culture. And culture is the most difficult thing to break. In fact, it's impossible to break outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't break it. Jehoshaphat passed on some good things to his children, but because he passed on that habitual sin, he sees the same things reoccurring in his own children. Brothers and sisters, if you don't love yourself, at least you love the little ones God's given you, don't you? You look at those and you think, you know what, my life was hard, but at least I look at my little boy and I know he's going to do better. I know he's going to surpass me. But if we go on in habitual sins without the introspection, without searching it out and destroying it, we're passing on those same angry habits, those same worrisome habits, those same lack of faith, that same half-hearted commitment. We give those same things to our children. Disease is more easily spread than health, isn't it? You don't see anyone taking, taking precautions to spread health. You have to take precautions to stop disease. A dam may leak in many places. But it's very difficult to make a sound reservoir. One of the worst lies of sin is containment. We say to ourselves, I'll just do this and then I'll stop. Have you ever known a sinner to do one sin and then stop? Number nine, habitual sins stain our future reputation and rewards. Jehoshaphat was godly, but these three accounts have stained his reputation. Habitual sins will decrease the reward that Jesus promised to give to all his people when he returns, and it will increase our enduring shame. It will decrease the effectiveness of our good works in the future, as if you're making an investment in the future for your children, but habitual sin is like withdrawing that investment. It's completely ruining the point of the investment. Number 10, habitual sins are still Sins At the most basic level, habitual sins are still sin and simply sin. Everything you know about sin applies to them. The difference is this. You do not feel so badly about habitual sins because you're used to them. You're accustomed to them like an old pair of shoes. So you feel as if This thing that I'm used to doing, it can't be as bad as murder. What I'm doing, it can't be as bad as racism. What I'm doing, it can't be as bad as because you're accustomed to it. But just think back over life. All the murderers in history thought to themselves, well, I had to kill a few people, but at least I didn't do. And then they named the things we're doing. Everything we know about sin applies to them. Habit is a powerful force in the human soul. Custom and practice changes us. It allows our minds to operate with freedom and comfort. Custom slowly dampens or slowly dulls the edge of guilt. God gave us a conscience so that we would feel when we sin. But by practice, by habit, we get used to it. We block out that conscience so that we don't feel the sin anymore. And through the power of habit, 
Satan rejoices that our consciences are deadened. We can go on in sin without the warning. We can sleep on without realizing that the day of judgment is coming, that we will give an account, that our brothers and sisters will be affected by what we do. Number 11. Habitual sins compete with habitual grace. Number 11. Habitual sins compete with habitual grace. Jehoshaphat was a Jew. He was given Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He was given the Psalms of David. And in those laws and in those Psalms, what do we have? David said in Psalm 51, evening and morning and noon will I pray and cry aloud. Psalm 32, I will confess my iniquity to the Lord and you will forgive all my sin. If he had been consistent evening, morning, and noon to confess his sin, he would not have fallen. If he had been consistent with the command of the Old Testament law, there were seven feasts that take place throughout the year. And those seven feasts (coughs) were part celebration and part customs and habits of grace to keep them away from sins. And then there was the Sabbath, one day every seven. And when the Jews are eventually taken into captivity, do you know the number one reason that it says... You did not obey my Sabbaths. Jehoshaphat was given one day in seven. He was given one day a year for the Day of Atonement, but he had forgotten. We know because when his great-great-great-great-grandson Hezekiah is going to come, in a few weeks we'll see him. Hezekiah remembers the Passover, and they said there was not a Passover done like that since the days of David. He had forgotten the Passover. He had forgotten the Day of Atonement. He had forgotten the the habits, the customs, the culture that God had given in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had put that culture aside. He had forgotten those. This is what we call it in the New Testament. Means of grace. He had forgotten the means of grace. And I close with this. Number 11 is habitual sins compete with habitual grace. In the new covenant, God has given us habits, customs to help us. Do not depend on the one great sermon you heard when you were in tears. Sometimes people say, wow, that song was so good, it put me in tears. That book was so good, I was just in tears. Oh, that sermon was so good, it really shook me. Maybe so. What you need is the slow, steady drop of godly customs. Every day reading your Bible. Every day praying. Every night reading and praying with your family. Every week meeting with the church for prayer. Or maybe two or three times in the week. Every week evangelizing. Every Sunday morning meeting. If possible, every Sunday night meeting with believers. You need those habits. Without those habits, you are putting to one side the tools that God gives you. Is it any wonder that we have spiritual scurvy when we haven't taken our vitamin D and vitamin E? We've got our spiritual carrots. We don't eat them. And then we say, I can't understand why I have rickets. I can't understand where these diseases come from. But there they were all along. The vegetables were there and you went after the junk food. 
Habitual sin is always competing with habitual grace. And when we form habits and patterns, giving our time and our days away to foolishness rather than habitual grace, we're feeding our habitual sin even though we don't know it, which is why one of the most important verses in the Bible is one of the shortest. Ephesians 5.16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. It goes along with what Jesus said in Matthew, uh, John 9, verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me. The night is coming when no one can work. If you don't redeem the time now for godly habits, sin will redeem the time for its power over your life. May God give us grace to look to Christ and to trust in Christ because he did die for sinners and for habitual sin. Habitual sin dominated Paul's life until Christ saved him. He was a constant murderer. Habitual sin dominated the Corinthians. Listen to this verse you probably never noticed. 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 and 10. It lists 10 sins including fornication, adultery, homosexuality, prostitution, thieves, covet coveting, drunkenness, and gossip. And then the very next verse, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11 says, some of you were that way, but you have been washed. If habitual sin is in your life like it was in the Corinthians' lives, you can be saved. God would have us to be Christian optimists, not, listen to this, optimistic but optimistic, just right, exactly what the Bible teaches. Really confident and sure that our sins, even the most firmly rooted sins, can and will be beaten either one piece at a time or by a miracle because Philippians 1.6, the one who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it. May God help us to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for victory over the sins that ensnare us. Let's close our eyes.